Hey, welcome to Shift for Life. I'm Rebecca. And I'm Eden. We are both mothers, Christians, and total birth nerds. And this is where we talk about all things related to the childbearing year, with an emphasis on supporting your physiology and embracing the freedom and responsibility we have as mothers. And we do it all through the lens of scripture and our faith in Christ. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of the Shiffer Life podcast. Um, I'm really excited about this episode because we are going to be diving into um, Eden's birth story with her oldest child. Both Eden and I um, chose to have home births with our first babies, but our decision making process was like quite different. Um, and both of our oldest babies um, each had birthdays really recently. So we thought it would be kind of fun to do a couple episodes on their birth stories and um, kind of how we got to the decision of home birth. Um, Before we get going too far, I just want to um, say that we are not medical providers and this is not medical advice on the decision-making responsibility for your um, care and choices around um, birth and pregnancy are yours alone. And um, we really want to encourage you to not outsource that responsibility to anyone, even if it's somebody that you like or respect. So um, we are just, we're mothers and birth workers who are just sharing um, what we've learned in our own observations and um, experiences. So um, now that we've got that out of the way, um, Eden, do you want to just um, tell us why you chose home birth and then just like how your first birth, um, how that went? Yeah, so... Uh, my mom had her last three babies at home. I'm the second oldest of 10. So she had mostly hospital births, but they were pretty, they were pretty positive. But um, the way that she talked about home birth was just like, she wished that she had had all of us at home and right. how it was so amazing to um, give birth on your own turf. And then like to just crawl into your bed with <laughs> your new baby and like soak everything in and not have like nurses in and out all the time and stuff. And right. Um, and so for me, like that just sounded really awesome. And I thought for a while, like, oh, like maybe I'll have my first baby in a hospital, like just to be safe. And that was like before I, yeah, kind of discovered <laughs> that home birth is like really safe if you're low risk. Like, right. In the hospital, if you're low risk. Right. Um, and uh, when I was dating my husband, I was really clear about like, you know, home birth is what I'm planning on going with. And he was just super supportive of that. And like, you know, you're the one who's going to be going through all the hard stuff. And so like where you want to give birth, that's like what I'm going to support. That's awesome. Yeah, it was really great. And so um, like a month after we got married, I got pregnant right away and kind of had a rough start because I got this like terrible urinary tract infection. Um, And that was really rough. And it took me like a week after I was late for my period to, to get like a positive on a test, mm-hmm. um, which was hard because like, I was like, okay, like what pain meds can I take? And yeah. Uh, um, but yeah, we got that ironed out and I had like no morning sickness. I didn't even, I mean, like I could feel the baby moving really early. I was super, super skinny. Um, and so I could just feel the baby like so early and Clara was just like always moving. <laughs> And, like, I was sure that I was having a boy. <laughs> like, I've guessed girl with all of my babies, and they're all boys, so. Yeah. 
yeah it just seemed like I'm there's so many boys in my family I was like I don't even know what a girl would be like you know I think that was my mindset too because I I mean my only two biological siblings are both girls but then my Mm -hmm. parents adopted four more girls and so yeah and like all of my mom's brothers have all of her siblings had all girls there's not Mm -hmm. one biological boy um, out of all of her you know nieces and nephews um you know some of them have adopted and you obviously have a brother who's adopted but Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah I just assumed I'd have a girl <laughs> yeah and I just assumed I would have a boy and it, it was just like you know when you have your first baby like you kind of want it to be a boy and be like the leader of the family right like that was just like my thinking anyway um and so like anytime anyone would say something like oh you're gonna have a girl or you're caring like a girl I'd be so mad because I'm just like I'm having a boy like what are you talking about <laughs> anyway <laughs> um and so yeah I was like as soon as I got pregnant I was like yeah there's no way I'm doing anything like but a home birth like (laughs) like I I'm so excited to like call Kathy and get to get to know Kathy better because obviously um like she was my mom's midwife but um I just knew her as my mom's midwife but I was so excited right (laughs) right um and I just like really I was super trusting in my body and um like I just, you know, what I wanted to eat, I ate and I was really relaxed about it. And it's funny because when I um, called Kathy, I think sometimes you have moms, I think maybe sometimes she has moms that call about wanting to have a home birth and um, maybe they haven't, they're not like actually committed. Sure. sure. And so it's so fun. And she's like, it doesn't have great phone skills. And so I remember calling her and being like, <laughs> Um, I'm calling because I want to have a home birth. And she was like, oh, really? Yeah, I know. <laughs> and I was like, um, yeah. And then I was like, I'm I'm Jamie Willis's daughter. And she was like, oh, Jamie's daughter. And like, the, the tone of the conversation just totally changed. And she was like so warm and like, I'm so, like, so excited for me. And so we like set up the appointment and obviously like I just love Kathy and yeah and Sandra both they're phenomenal so um yeah so like that was like super easy and you know like really no resistance um I had one person that really didn't want me to have a home birth and was very outspoken about it and for me that was just like really distressing not because it made me feel like I shouldn't it was just distressing because like why would somebody not trust me sure yeah or like because I was just so confident of like I trust my body. I trust my midwives and I trust in God. And like, to me, that was right. And my intuition was so strong. Like, this is the right thing. Everything feels right. Nothing in my body is wrong. I'm young. I'm strong. I'm healthy. Right. Um, And so that's when I really um, started digging into like the studies and research behind home birth um, because I felt like I needed to have that on hand because I guess it wasn't enough for people for me to have my intuition and my trust in God and my midwives. Right. Um, and so that's when I texted you, I think, and was like, um, <laughs> I need some book recommendations. Right. And I read um, Ida Mae Gaskin's Birth Matters first. I love that book. That's like one yeah. of my favorite books ever, like in the world. <laughs> it's such a good one. And I just like had this highlighter and I was literally just highlighting everything. And so I just gave up like halfway through the book because I was just right. like, I'm just going to keep highlighting everything. This is awesome. Right. Um, 
and I was just pretty much like consumed with birth literature the rest of my pregnancy. And my favorite um, that I recommend for like all pregnant moms is spiritual midwifery. Oh, sure. Um, Cause I just feel like I didn't know like really a lot about labor and that really kind of helped give me like a map for what to expect. Yeah. Um, and I love such a positive map too. Right. Yeah. And like, I think, I don't think Birth Matters has this, but like Spiritual Midwifery and Ina May's Guide to Childbirth both just have huge sections that are just stories. It's like yeah. just people's birth stories. It's not like just here and there. It's like half the book is just stories. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. So I have like really good memories of just like sitting underneath a tree and reading Spiritual Midwifery and feeling <laughs> like, okay, like I can do this. Like, I didn't realize that birth would be such a bonding experience for me and my husband until I read that book. Oh, yeah. And I was like, like, oh, my goodness, like birth can be so much more than just like having a baby. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, also just like having the right vocabulary for me was really important about like how to view um, contractions. Like I, with Clara, I always view them as like rushes, which was really influential in her birth, I think. Um, yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, towards the end, I was pretty... Like, that was the last month I felt really, really pregnant and tired and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, like, the only month of my pregnancy that I was like that. Sure. And, um, yeah, so the day that I went into labor, I woke up and I just felt different. Um, again, like, I'm just very in tune with my body. And I just knew something was different. And so um, I got up. It was corn harvesting season. And so my husband was working on the farm. And as usual, I just got into the truck with him and we worked on the farm that morning. And I just kind of like, when I left the farm, I just said to him, I think you need to be ready today. (laughs) And he was like, okay, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Like, you know, I really wanted to make sure not to like blow any false whistles because I was like, if I blow this one time, right i'm gonna be in the field and i'm gonna be having a baby by myself someday so (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah yeah, i went to my mom's house and had lunch and then i went back to my house which is um the house that we rented for a while it's a house that grandpa bill built and just a lot of great memories a house that's like had a lot of uh, beautiful things happen there and so i was really excited to give birth there yeah i know that's so cool (laughs) Yeah. And so I made brownies and I took a nap and then my mom and dad picked me up and we went to um, my grandma Judy's house in Port Sandlack and for dinner. And I had had like quite a lot of Braxton Hicks almost my whole pregnancy. You know, it was just like normal for me. Yeah, (laughs) I was having like some of those during the day, but like, you know, nothing. I just felt different. Right. And so my mom went to the library um, that's nearby my grandma's house. And um, I started noticing like my contractions getting like pretty intense. And I was just like walking around the house and leaning up against furniture. And my brother Ephraim was like quite young at the time, but he was following me around (laughs) and asking me questions. (laughs) <laughs> like not about like I like he was totally oblivious to the fact that I was going into labor. He was like, Eden, see this, see these colts right here. Which one's your favorite? <laughs> that would be Coulter. That's what Coulter yeah. would be like. With, yeah. Uh-huh. 
<laughs> and I was just like, I don't care, Ephraim. I don't feel good. I need some space. I just felt like <laughs> like a caged zoo animal or something. And um, nobody else really was paying attention to me, though. I was just kind of like pacing around the house. And Grandma Judy and Dad were in the kitchen. And uh, Ephraim was following me around. And I was like leaning up against stuff and breathing through contractions. And I was like, oh, dude, this is like the real thing. <laughs> and so my mom came back from the library. It was like um, probably 630. It'd been like half an hour of these pretty intense contractions. And um, I came up to her and I said, mom, I'm in labor. And she looked at me and her eyes got really big. And she was like, what? <laughs> And then I just started crying because I was like so emotional. I was like, I'm in labor. <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah, that was, and like when my mom told, like, grandma came up into the room and she was like, what's going on? And my mom was like, Eden's in labor. And grandma was like, what? How long are your contractions? How far are they apart? And I was like, wait a second you're supposed to like time contractions <laughs> I like it didn't even occur to me right and I've never after Clara's birth I never actually timed contractions like with my other babies sure I don't sure. feel like it's something that's uh an indication for me sure. on how soon I should call the midwife <laughs> right yeah no kidding um, <laughs> it's just like yeah uh I have one contraction and I'm like I should call the midwife yep um and so yeah that that just seemed kind of like it was stressful to me because I was like is that something I should be doing and I just was like super emotional and raw feeling and kind of just going into like this animal state right and so um I like wasn't hungry at all which is like really unusual for me (laughs) because I just eat all the time right (laughs) but I'm pregnant I get so hungry and but I like scarfed down this lasagna. I was like, okay, I should probably eat this because I'm going to need the energy later. Right. Um, and maybe I'll throw it up. Maybe I won't. <laughs> yeah. And so my dad took me back to Forster and he just like dropped me off and then went back for mom and the kids. And I was just like laboring alone and in the house for a while. Cause I called Nathaniel, but he couldn't get off work like right, right away. Sure. And so um, I was just like leaning up against the birth ball on my hands and knees or on my knees. And I would like time the contractions or I'd like play a song. Um, I was listening a lot to Sons of Cora, which are they play um, only Psalms. Okay, cool. That was really cool. And that was like really relaxing to me for a while until it wasn't. Because, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, that's the way labor is. Right. <laughs> um, and then Nathaniel came and he has this energy that at my births where he is like just so like he's elated (laughs) way that I'm feeling cannot bring him down (laughs) (laughs) and so you know he just had like this little smirk on his face and he took a shower and got out of his farm clothes and um then he called Kathy because I was like well maybe we should wait a while and he was like I think we should call Kathy because like I was moaning (laughs) through all the contractions and um yeah so then mom got there and I think Sandra got there next and she just has the most beautiful um, birth presence. Like when she comes in, she's just always smiling and has like this just calm presence that makes you feel like so much better. And she right. doesn't you. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. She seemed like, I mean, the one time I met her, she just seemed like 
I don't know, like, he would just have, like, a really, like, calm, like, gentle presence, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's wonderful. And then um, Kathy got there, and she was just sitting in the corner, um, crocheting booties, like, <laughs> like always, and praying. Right. And um, at this point, they were trying to get the birth pool set up, and whenever Nathaniel tried to leave me, I would, like, freak out. Like, <laughs> um, I was like, you can't leave me. Because, like, I have really bad back labor, and so he was just, like, very constant um, counter pressure. Sure. Um, and just, just, I felt like I was one person with him. I didn't feel like I was separate from him. And so when he would leave, I would just feel like I lost half of myself, Mm -hmm. um, which is how I feel with all my babies. Like I, we just are, I can't imagine giving birth without him. Sure. Um, and I was sitting on the, so I was sitting on the birth ball and I was like leaning up against him and he was applying counter pressure. And with every contraction, I just, it was like this wave going down over me and I could see it in my mind. And it was, um, it wasn't painful. It was very intense. Sure. sure. But I wouldn't describe it as painful because I just was not, there was, I was not fighting the pain at all. I was not fighting it at all. I was just letting it totally wash down through my body. And I would like, just kind of imagine it going like around the birth ball and then down into my toes. Um, (laughs) And just imagine, like, you know, I thought of the contractions like rushes. I was like, okay, here's another rush. And um, and then I was like, okay, I think I have to pee. And so I got up and I felt like um, I felt like a gush. And I was like, oh, maybe my water just broke. And they were like, what? <laughs> and so I got to the toilet and it was just like my bloody, it was a bloody show. It was my mucus okay. blood coming out. Right. Um, so I'm sitting I'm sitting on the toilet and I'm like, oh, I can't pee. This is so frustrating. <laughs> Why can't I pee? I just want to go back to my cozy place. And um, and then I had another contraction and I felt, I felt like this catch in my throat and my body just bearing down. And I yelled out, I was like, mom, mom, I'm pushing, I'm pushing and I don't mean to. <laughs> and that was like this is like the only time in her birth story where I feel like I like was panicked at all like I was so calm but that was like freaky to me because I was like okay I've barely been in labor for like any amount of time right I think you know it's probably been like four a little over four hours but it didn't feel like very long and um and so I was just like I you know I can't be pushing now like I'm I'm supposed to have like a 10 hour labor. This is my first baby. Right. Right. (laughs) And mom was like, okay, okay, just hold on. It's going to be okay. And Kathy was like, can we get you on the bed to check you? And I was like, uh, no, the bed is hell. The bed (laughs) is hell. (laughs) (laughs) And so at this point I had like dropped from the toilet onto my hands and knees on the floor. And I was like, you know, like they're not getting me on the bed. Like um, I'll have this baby here, but they're not getting me on the bed. (laughs) Right. um but they they did and she checked me it was really fast and she was like oh yeah you're 10 centimeters like you can push and I was like I'm 10 centimeters I can push <laughs> you know even though I already was it was like right still so talking to me I was like oh my goodness like I can do this like we're right so and so then they were like yeah you can get in the birth pool now and the water was just like incredible it felt so good mm-hmm. um and so right and 
Um, I think so. My pushing time with her was like forty-five minutes. Okay. Um, and I think it was good that it was so long because I think it helped me stretch out. I didn't tear at all. Right. Um, but I was channeling a lot of my energy out instead of down, <laughs> and so like with every contraction, I would like I would like bellow. Right. And mom, after a while, was like, um, "I think you need to instead of." yelling out you need to tuck your chin in and grunt down mm-hmm. and that's when I started to make a lot of headway and I could like feel her head and right. then it would slide back up and I would feel her head again um and I could fe- yeah and her water hadn't broken at this time okay and um and I really wanted it to break and so I tried to pinch it but I didn't have any success I have like the super super tough bags of waters like right it's almost impossible to break it. It, takes a few, it usually takes a few tries. Sure. Um, and so I just had Sandra pinch it and it broke and I felt her head like come like, you know, it's like a boulder after that. <laughs> right. Um, and it was amazing because, you know, Kathy's just sitting there crocheting her booties and my mom was standing there or sitting there next to the birth pool. And um, they were saying things like, Mom was like, she's doing so good. Like, this has been so fast. And Kathy looked at her and said, there isn't any fear here. Right. And I just remember that feeling like, like, oh, she's right. Like, I'm not afraid at all. Right. And like, feeling so good that I was doing so well. Like, it was so encouraging to me. Yeah. And um, I was getting close to the end there. And I said, I said, mom, can you pray for me? And she said, I am praying for you. And I said, can you pray out loud? Hmm. And so she started praying and it's amazing because like the Holy Spirit's presence was just so uh, tangible. You just feel it. It was incredible. And, um, and then she literally like stopped praying and I yelled, I had another contraction and I yelled, Sandra, Sandra, stop that. Cassandra was like, um, like applying pressure to my perineum. Sure. And she was like, Eden, that wasn't me. Your baby's head, your baby's head is out, and I was like, "The head is out." <laughs> I just had no idea. That's awesome. And so it just made me so excited. So then, like with the next push, I pushed the rest of her body out, and Sandra like handed her up to Nathaniel, and I said, "Is he okay?" And Nathaniel was like, "Oh yeah, she's great." And I was like, "You're joking," because Nathaniel's a total jokester, and, I, and right, right, I like, you're joking. It's not a girl. And he was like, "It's a girl." <laughs> and so I was like, "Oh my goodness, we have a girl." And so they got me turned around because I was on my hands and knees, you know, oh, you have to sure. leg over the cord and everything. Right. And um, they put me, they put her into my arms and I looked down in her little face and her eyes were just like wide open right away. <laughs> and she was just looking at me and I was, it was just like an instant like love. I was making all these like ridiculous noises and like <laughs> just speaking like the love language of a new mother. <laughs> right. right. My baby. And, um, it was just, it was amazing. And um, Nathaniel was like, I think we were both on like this crazy high, you know? Yeah. From that, because it was, it was such a bonding experience. Like, I feel like birth is like the most bonding experience. Right. Um, that you can go through in marriage. And um, I just, yeah, it was incredible. And I, and none of it really was painful other than that part on the bed and the right. part and her head came out you know right it was just incredible and I had like a pretty um rough postpartum mm-hmm. 
uh, which I'm not sure we want to get into. Like that, that could be like a whole podcast by itself, dude. Not like a, not an uplifting podcast, though. So, <laughs> um, but I think that you know, in motherhood, we have these times where we go through really hard things, and um, we come out on the other side as like you know who we're supposed to be. Yeah, and there's definitely things that, like, I don't know. I wish I could go back a little bit, but it's, it is what it is. And, you know, we just have to keep moving. And I, sometimes I just feel bad, you know, like your first baby's kind of your, your guinea pig. Um, right. They still are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, the whole time I just, her pregnancy and her birth, I just really trusted in my body and like my God given ability to have her, you know, Right, right. It was so, it was so powerful. And I think, um, and I have, that was my painless birth. I have not had that again. Sure. Um, And I've tried to replicate it, but. Right. Five hours is really nice. It's. Yeah. Five hours is a really nice time to have a baby in. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, I know. Like, I mean, you know this, but like Coulter was like, he was about five and a half hours of like labor that I had to focus on, you know, like I kind of had contractions. Mm -hmm before that but I was like by the time I was sure that I was in labor it was like five and a half hours and then Abram it was like just under four hours and so for this next baby that's due in May I'm like I really hope it's not too much faster than that Mm -hmm. partly because I want um Jaden to get here in time to do photos Mm -hmm. (laughs) but also just I feel like it'd be really overwhelming to have a baby too much faster than that a little bit maybe but too much would just it would just be too much it's a lot you know <laughs> it's a lot yeah so much happening so fast like even just from a physical perspective of like what's happening in your body that's just a lot of change like yeah no and it's interesting too because I feel like with William I was quite dilated and quite effaced but with Timothy um I had an ultrasound like a week before he was born right um for my cyst that I have um and my cervix was not dilated or effaced at all on the ultrasound. Right, right. But his birth was, was still super fast. It was faster than but, Williams. And so I yeah. know I probably did all that work. Yeah. Super, super like, small amount of time. <laughs> right. Which is probably why he was like your hardest birth. <laughs> yeah. Despite uh, being the fastest. Uh, right. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah well, I, mean, I, just, I mean, a couple of things just really. Oh, go ahead. No, I just was going to say, like, you know, for, you know, for those people out there, like, you know, you can trust your body and trust your intuition. And um, I think hearing that into motherhood is also really empowering too. like, you know, like you said at the beginning of the podcast, like, don't outsource as much as you can. Like, right, exactly. Take responsibility for your health and for your birth and for your children's health, you know, yeah. and their lives because... Yeah like we have a responsibility from God to raise them and um right and you don't want to get yeah to the point where, like you find out about stuff and you're like oh crap like I was just trusting this person and like I knew it was not right you know like my intuition right. was yeah. saying no yeah and I think there's there's so much to like learn about like I'm constantly learning new things as a mom mm-hmm. and some of it I'm like oh man I wish I could like go back and do that you know whatever differently so that's where um and I don't I don't have any like cute like massive regrets or anything you know but like 
I think that's where it's especially important to tune into your intuition into the Holy Spirit because yeah. You know, we just we have constant new information and we're always trying to like kind of like, you know, when you know better, you do better type thing. Right. Um, But sometimes it's your intuition. That's that little thing that's like, oh, I need I need to think about this. I need to look into that before I just roll with it, you know, and like it's it's good. It's you know, there's nothing wrong with like having help with those decisions or like consulting with somebody that is really knowledgeable or you know like anything like that but at the end of the day the responsibility for the decision lies with you and with your husband you know right um so yeah I totally agree that's such a good foundation to go into motherhood with with like just feeling like capable of making good decisions for yourself Mm -hmm. and for your baby for your family you know yeah I think there's a few things that just really um always stick out to me whenever you talk about your birth um I think the first one is just like that, like lack of fear and surrender. You mm-hmm. know, I think like, the, I don't know, I think, um, I can't remember if it's like the very first time I heard your birth story or not, but your mom was there. And she so she was kind of like talking about it a little bit from her perspective. Mm-hmm. And she mentioned the thing, you know, what Kathy said about like, there's no fear here. I was like, wow, that's really powerful. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so that's like the first thing that always sticks out to me. And then also just like the safety and privacy, right? Like labor Mm. starts when you're at your grandma's house, you go back to, you know, your own home that you love. And the only person there besides your husband and your midwives is your mom, you know? So it's all people that you just feel super safe with, um, that you can like be yourself with. Mm. And um, obviously really private. Well, which actually isn't a problem for me. I say I give birth like a bear. Like I don't care how many... um, mice and squirrels are laughing (laughs) (laughs) right Um, right. but yeah my mom gives birth like a deer (laughs) sure you know (laughs) right right I've always had like a lot of people at my births um but usually when labor like in the beginning it's just me and like one or two Mm -hmm. other people that's kind of like a good balance for me because like I don't know like especially with Coulter's birth at some point I like looked around to like make sure everybody was there like I wanted everybody there you know but um that wasn't until like late in labor and I think it would have been like pretty hard to disrupt it right at that point you know what I mean um yeah and then the other thing that always really sticks out to me is just like your husband's involvement and like the dynamic there because Mm -hmm. Um, as we'll get into when we talk a little bit more about like physiology, um, like oxytocin is such a big, a major player in the birth process. And um, yeah, at least like if you have a reasonably good relationship with your husband, they're usually a pretty good like oxytocin source mm-hmm. <laughs> during labor, just because, you know, because if you're with a man that you feel safe with, you feel like extra safe because, you know, birth does feel vulnerable. And um their you know their presence there is just like this big strong protective presence you know and um and then like just because you love each other it's like the oxytocin's like flowing you know (laughs) um so I think like I think all of that really helps support just the physiology for a really like straightforward uncomplicated birth you know yeah Yeah, it's really funny because my mom always says well because you know she's been at my births um and she's like, you and Nathaniel are so kissy while you're in labor. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I love him. And then um, recently, <laughs> my sister, 
um, gave birth, her husband and her were like kissing the whole time. My mom was like, I think they're even more kissy than you and Nathaniel. <laughs> That's amazing. I love that. Yeah, me too. Like, <laughs> like literally, I don't know, like Tyler was more involved with um, Coulter's birth, with my first birth. And um, he was, I mean, he was just super present and we weren't like super kissy the whole time, but there was like one point where we just like were making out. And mm-hmm. it was like while I was pushing. And um, <laughs> like my doula who was there, that all that was just like so striking to her. Like later yeah. we like we met up at like a homeschool group. She's like, Can I just can I just tell this part of your birth story? <laughs> and like told everybody. Oh, it was so funny. Awesome. But um, you know, but like both like Jess, my doula, and you know, my midwife Yolanda were like, Yeah, like the baby's head just like moved like an inch that, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like at that mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. Um and it was just, it was kind of like that brief moment, but that was still like the feel, you know? Yeah. Hmm. And I think, I don't think I would have like had the lack of inhibition to do that in a hospital. You know? right. Yeah. I mean, maybe I would, I don't know. I think it would depend on a lot of other factors, but mm-hmm. I was like, glad for the privacy and that yeah. I just didn't even think about it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, okay. So let's maybe just talk about then what happens physiologically in a normal birth. Um, I would actually like to just kind of like begin in pregnancy because like from the moment we get pregnant, from the moment we conceive, our bodies are just like prepping, um, like our hormones just begin prepping our like body and mind for labor and for birth Mm -hmm. and for mothering. Um, Mm -hmm. so a lot of times we think about like progesterone and estrogen as like the female hormones and obviously they're like really involved and important like in our fertility cycle and stuff. But um, they also play a big role, like, during pregnancy. So um, so during pregnancy, your progesterone is, like, 10 to 18 times more. Um, the levels are that much higher than um, when you're not pregnant. And estriol, which is, like, the estrogen that you produce when you're pregnant, because there's actually, like, lots of different kinds of estrogen, you know. But mm-hmm. the one that you um, produce during pregnancy is, like, over a 1,000 times higher than when you're not pregnant, which is crazy to me. Um, but, um, the estriol especially is like increasing oxytocin receptors in your uterus, which oxytocin of course is what causes contractions. So it's increasing all those receptors and also, um, like the connections between muscle cells and the uterus so that, so then like contractions can basically just be like really like well-coordinated and efficient, you know, they're not, it's not like one part of your uterus is contracting and the rest is like floppy or something you know what I mean um and then like progesterone and estrogen together are also activating like opiate pain killing pathways in your brain and spinal cord which I think is amazing Mm -hmm. um because I mean a lot of times we hear about like like oxytocin a lot in labor and it is super important but there's like all these other hormones that are doing all this other really cool stuff too you know And even, like, oxytocin, like, during pregnancy, um, it's enhancing nutrient absorption. It's, like, makes moms more sleepy, so they're kind of conserving energy. And it just, like, oxytocin in general helps people be, like, calmer and more resistant to stress. So that, like, begins in pregnancy, but, like, carries through, you know, to breastfeeding and stuff. Mm. Um, Which I think is just amazing because it helps us be, like, adaptable, you know. Um. 
And then during pregnancy too, like beta endorphins are increasing tolerance to pain. Beta endorphins are kind of our, like our natural um, opiates. They're really involved with like dopamine reward systems and stuff like that. Um, And then prolactin um, is, you know, preparing your breast to produce milk. It doesn't, um, progesterone is so high that it doesn't let prolactin um, actually produce milk yet but it's getting your body all ready for that and of course oh, prolactin I, produced, is so I actually produced a lot of milk when i was um pregnant with clara um yeah i produced like colostrum from like the first like the end of the yeah. first trimester on like yeah. yeah lots of it yeah right right i didn't with abram what was I that either. i didn't either after clara that's so interesting i wonder if that's a first baby thing I don't know. Well, I know I have friends who have it with other, their other babies, but I think, I think okay. for me, it was like my body was just like, let's do this. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, your body definitely like starts producing colostrum. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I mean, it can really vary. It might not be till after you have the baby, but it might be weeks or months before. Um, but to actually like produce like milk, milk, right. Yeah, it needs like a drop in progesterone. Mm. Um, so that's kind of, okay. So that's kind of what's happening, like during pregnancy, right? Like physiologically, mm-hmm. be, you know, beyond the fact is that you're like growing a human, like your blood volume, I don't know, doubles, I think, or mm-hmm. increases by two and a half times, something like that. It's a lot. Yeah. Um, and you know, obviously, all the other physical changes that go along with pregnancy. Um, and then, then when we get to, like, labor actually starting, like, we don't know exactly what causes labor to start, but, like, we do have some evidence that, like, the baby's lungs um, produce a protein when they're mature enough that um, kind of kickstarts the process and maybe helps to, like, sensitize the oxytocin receptors. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have, like, a big surge of estriol right before labor starts that helps to sensitize those oxytocin receptors because, obviously, like, like, we're it's not like we don't have oxytocin before because I mean, it's like you get like little surges of oxytocin when you like hug or share a meal or something like it's a bonding hormone, like, and it can be on a, you know, like I'm kind of like a a really like lower level, like, Oh yeah, this is just kind of normal things that I do with other humans, like sharing a meal. Right. Or, um, but then we get like big surges of it, like, you know, like during sex and then like during birth, especially. So, Um, like the higher the, the oxytocin level, like the more bonded you are with the person or the people that are involved in that. Um, so it's not like, it's not like we're not experiencing oxytocin that whole time, but obviously our uterus, like the uterus isn't responding to oxytocin yet. And so, um, before labor actually starts, those receptors have to get sensitized so they can actually respond to oxytocin. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of what happens first. And then also prostaglandins are like softening the cervix and that can be happening like up to weeks before you actually go into labor. And that just makes the cervix kind of yield to the work that uh, that the uterus is doing. Yeah. It's interesting and- because um, I recently listened to a podcast. I believe it was on the happy home birth. I could be wrong. And um, the mother was not in labor but she wanted to know how far like how far she was dilated and effaced 
and her right. midwife checked her and she was 10 centimeters dilated oh my god like they could see the baby's head but she wasn't that's in crazy. labor and didn't have the baby until like the next day that's crazy my yeah. mom when she was pregnant with me she like was like four centimeters dilated for like weeks before i was born mm-hmm. yeah so yeah i mean especially especially i mean it's really unusual to be like 10 centimeters and not be in labor but like those first few centimeters though can be really Mm -hmm. common especially if you're having braxton hicks or like pre-labor of any sort um you can like walk around you know a few centimeters dilated it's interesting that you can be like that dilated and not be in labor even you know it's like oh yeah just like one person but that obviously tells you it doesn't have to do with like just your body Right. And it doesn't have, you know, obviously it's like you and the baby are like working together as a team. Yeah, totally. And, um, I also think it just, it, it goes to show, as I love to say, like your cervix is not a clock. Yes. And like, don't treat it like a clock. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that is for sure. Yeah, I was never like, I mean, I was never checked like early in labor or like super I don't know. I mean, I guess I was checked like the day before I had Coulter and I was one centimeter. Mm. Um, so I was never like super dilated. And then Abram, I wasn't checked any times close to going into labor. So I don't really know. But um, yeah, your your cervix is definitely not a not a crystal ball. Right. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of times I think, too, when we think about like, I mean, usually people think about labor progress just in terms of the cervix. And it's like dilation. But even if we're only looking at the cervix, like isolating that one part of the body, like there's so much else it has to do. Like it has to thin out, it has to soften, it has to move Mm -hmm. from like pointing toward the back of your body to pointing toward the front of your body. Mm -hmm. And so like I think especially if moms are having a lot of pre-labor and are feeling discouraged by it, it's like, well, your cervix has to do all of that stuff. Mostly the other stuff mostly has to happen before dilation is happening. And like that still work for your body. So chiropractic care is really helpful for moms who are having a lot of um, like early, like, you know, like a lot of false labor, I guess you might say pre-labor. False labor is not really nice, but. Yeah. um, I don't like to call it false labor because it's like, it is doing something. It's not like it's wasted. (laughs) Right. Yeah, And it's still labor. It it feels like labor. (laughs) And a lot of times, you know, it's just your body's trying to like move the baby around to get the baby in that optimal position. Yeah, exactly. Uh, exactly. Or, you know, when you're actually going to be in labor and, but yeah, yeah. That pre-labor, it's rough stuff. Right. Right. And a lot of times when there's like kind of like just cervical activity going on, like the prostaglandin softening and all that is like a lot of times when moms are just feeling kind of crampy, you know, mm-hmm. they might not be having like, um, really like strong or consistent contractions they're just kind of like oh maybe this is it maybe it isn't I don't know I just feel I just kind of feel crampy you know Mm -hmm. um so and that can but that can also be happening for weeks before you you know totally go into labor so um yeah so once labor actually gets going um you know the mom will be having contractions and they might you know, they might start out being like five minutes apart or they might start out being like 10 or 20 minutes apart, you know, like there's, there's so many variations of normal. So I just kind of want to like put that out there that like what I'm describing here, what we're talking about here um, 
is just a very general pattern and is not like prescriptive in any ways. There are like so many variations of normal and it's, I mean, it's even normal for labor to like start and stop if it needs to, you know? Um, But like oxytocin, like during labor, oxytocin is basically being like released in pulses that like are totally coordinated with your contractions. It's not like it's just a steady stream or anything Mm -hmm. Um, versus like artificial oxytocin that you might get in the hospital, which is like Pitocin. Um, It's just kind of usually a steady drip. And so um, your body doesn't have much of a break in between contractions to kind of like, for one thing, just gather your strength, but also, um, you know, for your baby to get like oxygenated again and um and all of that it can just really wear your body out whereas like the natural oxytocin that your body produces is just coming in these pulses that are a lot more manageable Mm -hmm. most of the time at least (laughs) yeah um and oxytocin is definitely like the most powerful contraction causing hormone like in all mammals it's not just humans like all animals like all mammals it kind of works the same, you know. So as labor goes on, like those pulses obviously get closer and closer and your contractions are getting, um, you know, longer, stronger, closer together. That's kind of like the pattern you look for if you're like, oh, is this real labor or not, you know. Um, and um, also like the baby's also producing oxytocin and, you know, it's like passes through the placenta and, you know, into the mom's blood and then back to the baby you know like it's this very intricate system but the baby is also like producing oxytocin which of course is like priming it to bond with the mom Mm -hmm. you know it's really um and also I thought it was really interesting that like oxytocin receptors are like really dense at the top of the uterus like in the fundus which like that basically the top of your uterus just gets thicker and thicker as labor progresses because it's like scrunchy sides of your uterus basically <laughs> I don't know how else to describe it but you know what I you know what I mean like oh, it's I like that. yeah yeah it's like it's like pulling the sides of your uterus up which is actually what's causing your cervix to open mm. and um press you know pressing down on your baby who, who is you know causing more dilation because their head's pressing against your cervix you know um mm. and babies basically like when the baby's head is stimulating all those stretch receptors it produces even more oxytocin which you know makes the baby descend more and Mm. causes it to stretch more so it's just like this positive feedback loop which is like why it gets more and more intense right Mm. um but like meanwhile like levels of beta endorphins um are also increasing as labor progresses and you know those those naturally occurring opiates um and like overall like their purpose in the body is just to help like restore balance physiologically you know um when you're like in pain or under stress but like i said it does activate that like dopamine reward system um which will really come into play like especially right after the baby's born um but also it like helps the baby's lungs mature and um it's also like obviously helping mom cope with labor and kind of like transcend the pain and you know some moms will like describe being kind of like in an altered consciousness and sometimes that's really like obvious to everybody who's there and sometimes it isn't Mm -hmm. but when you actually talk to moms about their birth there's frequently some element of that and I mean like I kind of wonder you know like with women who um feel they've had like a pain-free birth I'm like wow we're like the endorphins just like so high (laughs) you know what I mean (laughs) that it Mm -hmm. just like transcended the pain you know what I mean I don't know I always wonder about that 
Yeah, no, I don't know. I feel like with Clara, I just was, yeah. I was just, I was definitely in a very altered state. I was like totally in labor land. I was gone. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what they call it a lot, labor land. Yeah. Yeah, and like for me, like during labor, I, I don't know. I don't think I've ever felt like that really strongly. But then when I'm looking back at it, I'm like, oh, yeah, I can see kind of like some elements of that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like I'm usually... I'm just so mentally present, like, with everything that I think, like, even if I am in labor land, it's, like, I'm still, like, kind of, like, almost experiencing it as, like, an outside observer or something. Oh, so interesting. Like, wa- like watching it happen instead of, yeah. like, experiencing it. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I'll think about that and talk about it more in Coulter's birth story. <laughs> um, And then, like, with the beta endorphins, too, though, like, the baby's also producing them, you know. And, mm-hmm. oh, this is interesting. I, like, I mean, like, obviously I know, like, physiology of labor in general, but I kind of, like, nerded out for the last week about it because I was, like, I want to be really, like, you know, have all my facts straight, but also have it be, like, more than just... You're soaking it in. This is awesome. Oh, good. <laughs> I don't, I mean, I was all excited about it because I'm just a nerd about it, you know? Oh. So, um, but one of the things that um I thought was really interesting I think I read it in the book gentle birth gentle mothering um is that like really high levels of beta endorphins will actually inhibit oxytocin and so Mm -hmm. it'll like slow labor down if pain is if pain or stress is really really high um it has to get to like quite a high threshold for that to happen so that was really interesting because like the balance of that I think probably just like actually prevents labor from like true you know what Mm -hmm. I mean Mm-hmm. like it doesn't it doesn't let you get to the point where you actually can't really handle it if right. that makes sense or like mm-hmm. or that it's probably more that it's going to be like truly damaging to your body mm-hmm. you know where mm-hmm. you had like no break between contractions for a super long time or something you know mm-hmm. um yeah so I just thought that was like super interesting just because just because everything works together and balances each other out it's like so well and like the Lord just created like this amazing complex system that like when it's left alone works you know what I mean like I don't know that was just amazing to me um the other um kind of another big player in labor is like catecholamines which is like adrenaline and noradrenaline um and like those actually start like they rise during labor but they go really really slowly and of course like like that's like your fight or flight hormones right um and um you know so they're happy they're like increasing if you're like stressed out or really fearful um and but they can also like even increase if you're like not warm enough or if you're like too hungry or you know, things like that which I also just thought was interesting because you know a lot of times in the hospital you're like really limited on you know they don't want you to eat anything by mouth so sometimes moms are like starving and if you have a long labor like you really need that fuel you know um, oh yeah for reals and I don't know. I mean, thankfully, you can usually kind of adjust the temperature to what you want it in the hospital room. But um, yeah, I just thought that was really interesting because like we don't normally think like, oh, cold, hungry, that's really going to mess labor up. But it actually it can from a hormonal perspective, you know, um, it's not like it's not just fear and tension, you know. Right. And and if those catecholamines are too high early in labor, like it'll a lot of times slow labor down or stop, which I think is why a lot of times when a mom first gets to the hospital, um, her labor will slow down or stop. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's, I mean, I think it's like good, you know, even for moms 
I don't know. I mean, for all moms, whether you're planning to birth at home or in the hospital, just to like be familiar with how the hormones in your body actually affects labor. Um, Because if you know that the change in environment and even just like the stress, not even necessarily bad stress, but kind of like the stress of just like checking into the hospital and everything like that, it's totally within normal for that to slow your labor down. It's not like, it doesn't mean you're not in labor. It doesn't mean anything's wrong. You probably just need a, a little while to kind of be left alone and relax and it'll pick back up, you know? Um, yeah, I've also but- read that um, melatonin is one of the main um, hormones that goes into like causing you to go into labor. Oh, really? And- that's fascinating. I yeah, I've read that. that. I think that's why a lot of women go into labor at night because that it's dark sense. and that's when your melatonin is the highest. Huh. And so, like, when you go into the hospital, it's, like, super bright lights. It's, like, killing the melatonin. Right. Right. Yeah, and I think, too, like, sometimes sometimes moms just don't realize that they can just shut the lights off. You Mm. know what I mean? Or, like, ask them to be dimmed or something. Um, Because, I mean, I think, I mean, obviously, you and I are very pro-home birth. And I would have to, I mean, I would have to be in a really pretty dire situation to choose to have a baby in the hospital. But... There are things you can do in the hospital to like really help like be more relaxed and make it feel, you know, kind of just more safe and cozy, basically, you know, and I think um, dimming the lights is like one of those like super basic, simple things. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you don't know, you don't know, right? (laughs) Um, Yeah, and then like. I mean, some other kind of interesting things, if catecholamines are, like, too high during labor, um, it does contribute to, like, a longer labor and also, like, less than optimal fetal heart rate patterns. Hmm. And that's just because, you know, like, your blood is kind of, like, rushing to your limbs so you can fight or run Hmm. and away from your placenta, away from your uterus. So your Hmm. baby has, you know, is getting less less oxygen, basically. Um, but the other cool thing is that the baby's also producing catecholamines, and those are actually really protective to it from the effects mm. of lack of oxygen. Because even in a really like normal, uncomplicated labor, the baby is getting like less oxygen during contractions, you know. Right. So yeah. those catecholamines are like really protecting it from any like harm from that, you know. Yeah, that makes um, sense. yeah, yeah, and then. And then, like, prolactin levels actually kind of, like, drop during labor and then surge afterwards. So they don't, take like, play, like, a huge role in labor itself. But afterwards, obviously, they do. Um, so that's kind of what's happening, like, hormonally during labor. Contractions are intensifying. Cervix is opening. Baby's descending. Um, and, I mean, we kind of already talked about, you know, there might be, like, a lull if the mom is tense or fearful or if she's got, like, some big, like, emotional thing that she has to figure out. Um or if the baby's like in a funky position or something and like, and that's totally okay. Like that's your body's very normal response and actually really protective, not just physically, mm-hmm. but like, I think emotionally too. Yeah. Um, Cause I don't know. I mean, I think if I had like some major, like distressing emotional thing that was like bothering me during labor, I wouldn't want to have to go through the whole thing without resolving that personally. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, but then so then as, we, as you, like, hit transition, which is, like, the final, you know, 8 to 10-ish centimeters of dilation, um, usually, like, things kind of start to shift. Um, this is the point where, like, a lot of women will just have, like, an emotional breakdown and be like, I can't do it. I want, you know, I want an epidural. I want a C-section. I want to go to the hospital. You know, like, whatever it is. <laughs> like, 
Like, usually that's when it happens. It's not that it happens to every woman, but if it's going to happen, that's usually when it happens, you know? Um, and, you know, that's, I mean, I think a lot of that is just because so many, like those hormones are just like, they're getting pretty close to their peak. You know, they're increasing so much at that point. Um, and I don't know, I don't know, like what transition was like. I mean, it seems like in Clara's birth, like you didn't even really like have transition. It was kind of I've like... never, yeah, I've never actually had transition. Okay. Like no. with your other babies, did it like you didn't no, feel like the whole thing was like transition. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. For me, like I, th- I hit a point. I never like hit a point where I like felt like I couldn't do it, but I really didn't want to. And I felt really ticked off that I had to. Yeah. Like, that's mm-hmm. what transition feels like for me. <laughs> Mm-hmm. yeah no there's not really any time I can say oh yeah like that's when I was in transition sure yeah yeah I think I don't know for me there were definitely like some angry frustrated tears uh-huh. and you know yeah, just like really wanting that it's just it's just like a, yeah I can't pinpoint a time where it feels like the most right like, right you know, pretty much from start to finish it's just like really intense right yeah yeah so so like as you're going into transition like oxytocin endorphins and catecholamines are all like really like swiftly increasing you know and um a lot of those kind of peak right around the time of birth or like oxytocin kind of peaks shortly after birth um but they're all those hormones are kind of just like coming to their crescendo you know Mm -hmm. um and then i mean a lot of times once moms go through transition like they might go right into pushing or they might kind of have like a resting phase where they don't really feel like they need to push yet. Um, and a lot of times that's just because the baby's a little high still. So they're still having contractions, but the baby's head hasn't like um, put enough pressure on the pelvic floor to like activate the pushing, that pushing mm-hmm. reflex, you know. Um, but once we actually get to pushing, like catecholamines, which obviously we don't want too high during most of labor, like surge, which causes really strong contractions and like contributes to like the fetal ejection reflex, you know, mm-hmm. and um, just that like overwhelming feeling of having to push and also makes mom really alert and just gives her like this extra dose of like strength and energy to push the baby out. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also... Um, you know, it also makes the baby really alert. So the baby's catecholamines um, really surge at that point too. So that when mom and baby actually meet each other, they're just like really alert, you know, mm. which I think is super cool. Like you were talking mm. about how Clara's, Clara was just like really like wide eyed and stuff right after she was born, yeah. you know. That's too, because she's really very like, um, she's very extra as we like to say. <laughs> right. Um, and like when William, when William was born, he like barely squeaked and he barely opened his eyes, but he just like wanted to cuddle me and it was and he's like so easy. He's such an easy little guy. Right. Very, yeah, that's, kind of, that's a little bit like the dynamic of Coulter and Abram too. Like Coulter yeah. was definitely a little more alert. Um, I mean, he was super alert and like picked his head right up and looked at me like, mm. you know, like his neck was really strong and everything. And he just like looked right at me with these big eyes, you know. <laughs> and Abram was just kind of more. I mean, he was like fairly alert, but not quite like Coulter was. It was kind of funny when you said like, "Oh, you like hope to have a boy soon, like leader of the family, you know, whatever." And I thought about Clara. I'm like, I don't think you need to worry about not having a leader of the family. <laughs> Certainly don't. She. Oh boy. Yeah. She's definitely an alpha female. I don't know. But... <laughs> Oh man, yeah, she's funny. Oh man. 
that. Um, yeah, and then like, okay, so like then, so we've got like high catecholamines when you're actually, you know, pushing the baby out and also high beta endorphins, which of course are like all those feel good hormones. Um, mm-hmm. And those really peak right as the baby's born. And so that reward system's like really active. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, then as um, the mom and baby have like skin to skin and eye contact and nursing and all of that, it just makes it like all of that really rewarding to the mom. Mm-hmm. Mm. and so like that system has just been like been priming all through pregnancy and all through labor and so that's like what induces all those feelings of like pleasure euphoria like dependency like basically it just makes you addicted to your baby you know right. <laughs> yeah and but it you know it just makes like all of those like mothering behaviors that really contribute to your baby's like well-being and survival just feel really like highly rewarding to you which mm-hmm. i think is such a blessing you know, because it is because it is a lot of work and it is hard, but it's rewarding at the end of the day. Thank you, beta endorphins. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and then I mean, I already kind of mentioned like oxytocin peaks shortly after the baby's born um, and it like continues to be stimulated from like nursing and just like eye contact with the baby and everything. And you're with that, it's like it's basically like falling in love with your baby. Right. <laughs> um, and. I don't know. I mean, like the oxytocin is high in the baby too, but it like the mother's oxytocin levels also like affect everyone in the room. So like men actually who are present at birth actually have really high oxytocin levels at the time of birth as well. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, I mean, I kind of already said it, but like, it's not just about mom and baby bonding. It's about the whole family bonding, which right. I think is amazing. And yeah. Is and it's awesome. Cause Kathy talks about that. She said like, you know when what we love to see as midwives is not like like obviously we love to see the baby being born but it's like not about the baby so much as like a family being made right and And that's why I think it's important to like have family present at your birth because like you want to have that bond with people that you're going to have a permanent bond with you know and which isn't always I mean but that's like why we bond with our midwives right Mm -hmm. and like and it's why like people sometimes women bond with like care providers that even aren't like aren't that good you know like they're not that great or at least weren't like phenomenal you know what I mean but they still have like this bond with them because they like had this crazy oxytocin rush you know Mm -hmm. and that's cool that we're there so I just think I don't know I just think that can be like so so powerful and like I don't know I know like in like after Coulter was born like I had never like up to that point I had never felt so in love with Tyler in my life Mm -hmm. I was just like no, yeah, I feel that. I yeah. Feel that. Newlywed vibes. What was that? <laughs> like newlywed vibes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like like better than newlywed vibes. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? So it's more like mature, I think. Yeah, exactly. You've like done some hard stuff together usually by then. Uh-huh. And yeah, yeah, it was pretty amazing. Um, and then like the those like good oxytocin levels too are like keeping your uterus contracted so that you don't bleed too much. And um catecholamines drop right after birth but if they stay raised even even for something like the mom's not warm enough like it um increases your risk of like hemorrhage and stuff because it messes with your uterus like contracting back down um oh one other thing about uh the beta endorphins it's also found in breast milk and it just like helps the baby transition to like the stress of being on the outside world you know um and levels of beta endorphins are higher postpartum in moms who had a vaginal birth versus moms who had a c-section 
um, which I think is really just like a reason to give those moms some extra support because I don't know. It's just everything's harder if you don't feel like it, if you like don't feel like doing it, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I think that's just kind of worth noting, I guess. Um, And then the catecholamines for the baby, too. Like, you know, they have this big surge close to birth and it um, is really important for like their metabolism and their blood sugar balance. And it also like um, helps prime their respiratory system, like helps their lungs produce like surfactant and stuff, which they like, you know, is like the lubrication so that they can like inflate easily and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like all of these hormones like play really important roles and probably roles that we don't even know about yet. Right. right. <laughs> but um yeah, and then, of course, once the placenta is delivered, there's, like, a, this big drop in progesterone in the mom, and that's when pro- prolactin can start, you know, really causing milk production. But, of course, like, usually it takes a couple of days for your milk to come in. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I th- feel like two or three days is really normal, but, like, I don't know, what is it, like, up to five can be can be normal? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah mine Which, comes in, like, mine, yeah. Mine doesn't well, even have, it doesn't, it doesn't wait. It just is, like, in. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, like I think start gulping the first day that they're born and my sister's the same way right yeah I think Coulter I think with Coulter it was like three days and with Abram it was like I don't know two and a half days yeah um, but I mean I think it's good for moms to just know that it's normal for it to take yeah, a few days sure. because your baby's stomach is so tiny that they don't like they don't yeah. need massive amounts of milk at that point like your right. is is enough you know like if your baby's like has a good latch and is sucking well like they're probably getting everything they need you know <laughs> um yeah and then like with prolactin too like it's it's just stimulated in direct response to your baby nursing so um you know so nursing your baby for longer or like more frequently making sure they have a good latch all of that like mm-hmm. just helps your prolactin levels stay um, optimal it's also higher at night which i think is frustrating to moms because we want to sleep at night man but our babies are like ooh prolactin let's nurse all night (laughs) right and your breath milk also has I mean something that makes you both sleepy at night too though I can't remember what the hormone is right yeah I mean I'm sure it like kind of reflects like normal like hormones of like circadian rhythm and stuff Mm -hmm. ink I don't know my babies I mean of course I always had like some lawn nights but they mostly weren't I mean, they slept pretty good early on. After like four months, it was just, you know, that was all out the window. But early on, it was great. <laughs> yeah, good sleepers. I William was a good sleeper, but. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and like, I mean, we already mentioned that like prolactin helps moms like feel calmer and just like basically more like resilient to stress. But prolactin mm-hmm. also contributes to that. Which, again, I just think is amazing because, like, we need that, right? <laughs> like, we right. need to, like, anything that helps us be calm and not frazzled and helps mm-hmm. us be resilient to stress is, like, a gift in, yeah, in motherhood, sure. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and um, prolactin is, like, also, like, present in your breast milk and really helps your baby's, like, kind of, like, brain hormone system, like, mature, um, which is also interesting. Oh, one, oh, another thing I read from that Gentle Birth, Gentle Mothering book, which is really, really good. Like, highly recommend that book, especially, like, her stuff on hormones is, like, amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, prolactin is also sometimes called the hormone of, like, submission and surrender. 
um, and just really helps the mom put like the baby's needs first. Mm. Um, and men's prolactin levels actually like increase during pregnancy and birth kind of like parallel to the mom's levels, which of course, mm. like men's levels, of course, are like way lower than a woman's levels. But I think like it's not really the number that's relevant. It's just that it, it mm. increases. Um, right. And men with higher prolactin levels are like more responsive to their baby's cries and stuff. So I just thought it was super interesting that it's not just um, it doesn't just contribute to like normal motherly behavior. It's like a really natural mm-hmm. part of what contributes to like like healthy like fatherly nurturing mm-hmm. too mm-hmm. you know um so that was I don't know that was really cool too um so I mean all of those things like everything that supports all of those hormones being like at the right level at the right time is a lot easier to achieve in a home setting than in a hospital setting a lot of that is just because um, you know, like things like oxytocin really thrive in a in an environment of like safety and love and um, like calmness, like not busy, stressed, you know, craziness. Um, right. And like it's all kind of like run by the limbic system, which is like the emotional part of your brain, not the rational part of your brain. So if you're mm-hmm. constantly being interrupted and asked questions and stuff, you're constantly having to activate that rational part of your brain. So your body, it's like you have to like switch gears a lot, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, So and then, I mean, I mean, we could go into a lot of like ways that the hospital like kind of makes it harder. But that's I mean, that's kind of like that's the basics of it is just feeling safe um, and having privacy, not feeling like super observed and stuff. But um, I think it's just worth noting that. You know, a lot of times if labor slows down or something, there's pressure to just use Pitocin to get it to speed up again, which then also often just leads to like what's called the cascade of interventions where it's like, right. oh, you have, um, you know, you we give you Pitocin. So now labor's harder. So maybe you get, um, you know, like some painkilling drugs through an IV or something and then you feel really sick. So then maybe you take something for your nausea and then they increase the pitocin some more and labor is really hard then so you get an epidural but then that slows labor down so we increase pitocin some more and then all of a sudden your baby's heart rate isn't doing well because it's being like squeezed too much basically and not having time to like recover oxygen levels in between contractions and then it's like oh my gosh, we need to do a C-section right now. And then it's like, right. oh, thank goodness, the C-section saved my baby. And it's like, well, okay, um, sure. When we got to that point, yeah, it did. But we didn't have to get to that point. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. I mean, it's not that all hospitals or all care providers are going to like push that cascade really hard, but some of them will. And if a mom isn't educated and like able to advocate for herself, it makes it a lot hard. It makes it a lot more likely to happen, you know, um, because, yeah, I mean, basically, if if the the complication that the hospital saved you from was created by the hospital in the first place, like that's not a good that's not a good thing, right? And right. I think like, you're not actually being saved, right? Right. Yeah. And I just it really bothers me when women are like basically like treat the hospital like their savior but then you actually kind of dig into the story a little bit and you're like none of that had to happen and of course 
like you have to be like wise and delicate about how you handle situations like that mm-hmm. like when you're actually interacting with moms um but I think it's really like undermining to a mother's sense of like what her body's capable of right and what she yeah I have to be really careful when I get in those situations because I know I'll say too much so I just usually like nod my head (laughs) right right I know like I've tried to I don't know it's been a while since I've had a conversation like that with somebody who like kind of didn't already know where I stand you know Mm -hmm. um but I think I mean I think it's important to be gentle but like to also like it's okay to kind of press the question a little bit you know and then just kind of I mean for me sometimes I just kind of leave it with you know hey if you ever want to talk about this more or if you want any book recommendations or anything like always feel free to shoot me a message or Mm -hmm. or whatever especially if it's like if it's a mom that I know is probably going to have more kids right you know or you know I might say like oh yeah if you ever have another baby like please feel free to reach out you know if you kind of want to talk through some of that or you know like Mm -hmm something along those lines because yeah because I mean when it comes to women's feelings about like what saved their baby like of course they're gonna have strong feelings about it right and and sometimes hospital stuff does save babies right um but they also sometimes just create and then correct dysfunction right because it's not an environment that supports physiology very well um so, I mean, that's just, I mean, that's a big part of why I chose home birth is because it was actually a good environment to have a physiological birth in for birth to just mm-hmm. unfold normally. And I think, you know, for me, which we'll get into this, like when we do the episode with like Coulter's birth, like I really needed to like know all the safety data on it. But I think for you, like your decision was so like intuition based that you you just knew. And yeah. I mean, by that point, like, you know, your mom had had a few home births and I'd had a few home births. So you mm-hmm. had, I mean, you had more exposure to it by the time you had kids than I did. Um, right. Which, um, I don't know. I mean, I think that would have been helpful for me at least. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I guess I can't remember exactly where I was going with that. But that's just kind of, that's a big part of why we each chose it, even though the kind of the paths to getting there were kind of different. But um, I just kind of wanted to talk through, like, a few takeaways that I was just, like, kind of thinking about and meditating on as I was, like, even as I was, like, preparing for this and, like, brushing up on all of this, like, hormone stuff in labor and also, like, learning some new stuff. Like, I learned some stuff as I was prepping for this episode. Yeah, um, I learned some stuff today for sure. Oh, good. <laughs> I know. I wanted it to be, like, I'm, like, okay, I want, like, birth nerds to learn something, but I also want it to be you know accessible for not birth nerds I guess um (laughs) um, I mean I've mentioned this a little bit but I just think it's amazing how our hormones are so attuned to like our survival and well-being and our baby's survival and well-being and how um you know a lot of them just help promote like calmness and resilience and basically being able to get through hard things Mm. and still have reward out of it um, and I think that's, like, why mothers can do well, even in, like, far less ideal circumstances. And mm-hmm. I don't know, just, like, how the intensity of, like, our love for our children um, helps us be, like, adaptive and resilient. Um, I don't know. I just think that's, like, amazing and, like, such a blessing, you know. And mm-hmm. then also just, like, I think learning about the complexity of how labor 
works. Like it's in one sense, it's really simple. And in another sense, it's very complex. But like learning about it should just lead us to glorify God because Mm -hmm. the way he created us is so good for us. And like we're fearfully and wonderfully made. Right. Mm -hmm. And should also lead us to like acknowledge the mystery. Like there's still so much we don't know. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, also just like a mother's well-being and a baby's well-being are not in competition. Like those things are very rarely at odds with each other. And mm-hmm. they're so often pitted against each other, like mm-hmm. in the hospital system and just even like in culture in general. Um, those things are just kind of like pitted against each other. And it's like, oh, what's good for the baby harms the mom or what's good for the mom harms the baby. And that's just not the case, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I just think something that's really worth noting is like in the animal world, like babies die if birth is too disturbed because moms don't take care of them because it disrupts right. their instincts so much. I think anybody who like works much with animals like knows this. Um, yeah. You know, like for me, like growing up with like rabbits and kittens and horses, you know, like all of these things, like we could never, ever catch a rabbit having babies. Never happened. Oh. You know? <laughs> um, no matter how hard we tried. And with horses, it was really tricky too, you know? Um, and they would a lot of times just like, if you checked on them too often, they just wouldn't go into labor. So then like the one night you were like, Oh, I'm not going to check on them. You might check on them like once and then you might go back an hour later and it was like done and over with, you know, (laughs) like, um, yeah. So, I mean, I think like observing animals is helpful in understanding how important it is to like not disturb birth too much. Mm -hmm. Um, just cause like, you know, if those hormone systems are too messed with, like moms, just their instincts don't kick in and they don't take care of their young and the babies mm-hmm. die you know um so i think you know like like praise god we're more than instinct right because so many women have like births that are so disturbed and their hormones aren't working right like it's not like they don't feel euphoric after birth they don't feel mm-hmm. super bonded with their babies but they still love their babies and they still care for them anyways yeah. and like other species don't do that you right. know so like i think we should like like praise God for our instincts, but also praise God we're more than instinct, right? And I think we should really, like, just acknowledge that that our instincts, which kind of come from our hormones, are, like, a gift and a really powerful force that we would just, like, we'd be wise to leverage that in our mothering instead of, like, squelching it, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, which I think is, like, pretty normal in, like, you know, home birth circles and crunchy circles and new agey circles, but it's not real common, in Christian circles to be like, oh yeah, your instincts are good, you know? Because mm-hmm. um, I think we often confuse our instincts and our feelings, you know? Right. Um, and we just kind of say, oh, the heart is deceitful above all things. So if you're not just 100% using your brain, you're in danger of thinning or something, you know what I mean? I don't know. I just think we should, we should be thankful for our instincts too. Um, yeah. And then, I don't know, something I was, I've really been thinking about really, like, truly for weeks is just, you know, in the, in the fall, like, part of the consequence for sin coming into the world is pain and childbearing, right? Like, God says that pretty clearly. I think that applies to more than birth itself. Um, and I know, you know, there are all kinds of, like, thoughts and convictions about what that means precisely, right? And, like, what our response to it should be. Um, you know, but I, I just think we'd be really, like, remiss to fail to like acknowledge his mercy and his kindness Mm -hmm. and like keeping intact so much of like the beauty and the joy of giving birth 
Right. You know, like he said, yes, there will be pain, but he didn't take the joy away. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, of course, like those feelings aren't mutually exclusive. Um, you know, but I don't know. I mean, I think we just we really like slander the name of a good, good father when we fail to call his, his gifts, even the hard ones, good. Right. Yeah. And I think, too, um, we have a culture that really emphasizes like if something is hard then it's bad. Yeah, exactly. And, um. I don't think that's, I, I just think that's so wrong. Yeah, and yeah, absolutely. I think there's, like, the hardest things in my life, like, like just like we talked about with Liza, like, we're refined by fire, and, yeah. um, and when he brings us, you know, he takes us through hard things, but he's there for yeah. us. It's not like he's going to make us do it on our own strength. Exactly. Like, and he never forsakes us, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's been something like with even like with my current pregnancy that I've like just thought about a lot. Like for whatever reason, I'm really like um, I think about death a lot. I'm not like going around like worrying about my baby dying, but mm-hmm. I think just like the reality of it. I think I mean I think part of it is because I've lost several grandparents since my last baby mm-hmm. was born, you know, mm-hmm. and I feel that emptiness really strongly, um, and more so since I was pregnant. But um, yeah, I don't know. Just, I mean, there's a, a little bit of a sense of kind of facing death when we give birth. Mm. And um, and there's always the possibility that our babies die, right? And like I said, I'm not going around like worried about, like stressing out about it. But sometimes I just have to really think through, okay, but if the worst thing happens, which like that would probably be like the worst thing for me. Mm. Um, like God is still with me and my suffering like is no is no threat to his goodness ever you know mm-hmm. um yeah so i mean yeah i think i mean god is always with us and like we have that that hope and that comfort to to grasp on to when when life is really hard or when mothering is really hard or when really terrible things happen you know so yeah yeah for sure <laughs> Well, yeah, I think that's wrap that up. <laughs> sure. Okay. I think, I think we've had a successful podcast episode. So thanks for listening, everyone. Long one too. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening. And um, if you're not connected with us on Instagram, our handle is Shifra Life. Um, S H I P H R A H, and then the word life. Um. We have the same handle on Substack as well, which is a great um, platform if you, um, especially if you would like to avoid social media that's totally controlled by by big tech. Um, and we will also drop the link to our shop um, in the show notes and probably links to the books that we recommended as well. So yeah, please connect with us. We would love to hear your feedback and thanks again for listening. <laughs>